All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for just the, the privilege and honor and blessing of being able to come together as a body, and Lord, to worship you and to love you and to seek your face and to hear you speak to us through your word. We thank you, Lord, for the time of worship, Lord, that I, I believe and trust that it has opened our hearts and Lord has um, prepared our hearts, the soil of our hearts, ready to receive your word. And Father, I, I just pray right now, I pray for, for Lynn Lindbergh uh, in the hospital. I also pray for Tony Diaz in, in the rehabilitation center there, Lord, and for Rick Trevino Jr., Lord, that you would be with these three individuals, Lord, and that your hand of grace and strength and healing, Lord, would uh, overwhelm them right now, that as we're praying, they're feeling your, your power, Lord, and your healing power and strength upon them right now. So, Lord, we commit them to you. And, uh, Lord, we trust you, Lord, and we thank you for who you are. And, Lord, I decrease that you would increase. And to myself, of myself, so fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind will be of you, not of me. For we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's praise him. He is worthy. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy. Chapter 2, verses 8 through 13 is today's text. We're now in part 5 of our series, Last Words. Say last words. More enthusiasm. Say last words. I'm going to be on you on that, okay? All right? More enthusiasm. Say last words. That's much better. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Uh, before we dive into the text, I always want to do a quick review from last week's text, verses 1 through 7. And I gave you three points. You might remember these points. The first point was the command. Say the command. And that's in verses 1 and 2. And Paul, what he does, he gives a command to Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he's pointing Timothy to the only sufficient source of strength. And this strength is something outside of himself. This strength is in the grace, as the text says, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's like, Timothy, you need to walk and, and serve and live your life in the strength and in the grace that's available to you in Christ Jesus. Now remember, this command is in the present tense, and what it does, it gives a focus upon continuing action. So it would be said like this, continue, continue, keep on, keeping on being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then Paul's like, Timothy, I have poured into your life the treasures of God's word, but it's not to stop there. And, and here's the mission. Here's the mission. You are responsible, Timothy, to pour into others, to distribute the word of God to others that they in turn would do the same to others. The second point was the cost. Say that, the cost. That's in verses 3 through 6. And Paul, what he does, he uses three illustrations or three metaphors to help Timothy and us understand the cost of ministry, the cost of Christian fruitful service. And Paul tells Timothy and us, endure hardship, he says, endure hardship with us in reference to persecution and ministry hardships like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So what Paul does, Paul compares the Christian life to that of a devoted soldier. And then he says, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. In other words, those in the military live by a different code, right? A different standard, uh, a unique set of values. And though they 
maybe among civilians, they're not part of the civilian world. Because they're, they're, they're in this unique military world, in this unique military, if you will, mindset. On the battlefield, they're not concerned with the entanglements of, of regular life. Their, their minds are on the battles they're engaged in. And therefore, get this now, they don't let anything, say anything, let anything stand in the way of being who the military wants them to be and doing what the military has called them to do. And Paul's point is that as Christians, we are to live by a different code, a different standard, and live by a unique set of values. And though we are in the world, we are not of the world, the world system. Okay, We live in it, but distinct from it. Therefore, what Paul is saying in driving that, we are to not let anything stand in the way of being who God wants us to be and doing what God has called us to do. And then Paul says he, speaking of the soldier, wants to please, I love this, his commanding officer. What Paul is saying is if we are to be good soldiers, and we should be, right? Right? Okay. We must make it our goal to please Jesus Christ, who is our commanding officer. The second thing, if you notice, Paul compares the Christian life to is that of a disciplined athlete. One who competes by the rules wins the prize. And Paul's point is, as Christians, if we desire to run the race and desire to win the prize, then we must compete according to the rules, right, which are found in the Word of God. And if we don't obey the rules, then we lose out on the rewards, the prize. The third thing you notice Paul compares the Christian life to is that of a diligent, diligent farmer. And Paul's like, Timothy, remember that ministry Timothy, ministry is hard work, so, so toil energetically. There will be seasons of, of plowing and sowing and tending and, and weeding and reaping and storing. And, and you see, we must come to grips with the fact that living and growing as a Christian is just plain hard work. Amen? It takes energy, it takes investment, and it takes time. And then Paul says the hardworking farmer should be the first, say first, to receive and share of the crops. So the farmer who works hard is the first to enjoy his fruits, and the diligent, hard-working Christian can expect the same. The third point was the contemplation. Say that. The contemplation, verse 7. And Paul, what he's saying, says, reflect, or Timothy, contemplate, or, or think this through. Think over and over of what I'm saying here with these illustrations and these metaphors, and the Lord, as you contemplate upon them, the Lord will give you the ability to understand it and apply it to your life, and not just to your life, but also to your ministry. This brings us to today's text, and the title of the message is Endure. Everyone say that. Three points, if you're ready, say yes. Number one is this, the person of Christ. Everyone say that. Write that down, the person of Christ. The person of Christ. Now let's look at verse 8. Verse 8, Paul writes, remember, he's telling this to Timothy, right? Remember Jesus Christ. I want to stop there. Well, Timothy's a believer, right? We know that. He's a pastor as well. He's a pastor of the church of Ephesus. And he's been under Paul's leadership for many years, right? We know that. So why is Paul telling Timothy to remember Jesus Christ? Well, perhaps, perhaps Timothy has lost sight of Jesus Christ. Uh, perhaps he, he got sidetracked and was focusing on other things rather than on the main thing. 
Perhaps he was getting so discouraged that his focus was on his circumstances and not on Jesus Christ. Follow me here. As Christians, it's possible to get so caught up in the warfare as a soldier and in the competition as an athlete and in the harvesting as a farmer to the point that we start to lose sight of the person it's all about. It's possible to get sidetracked by a job, by education, by, by a relationship, by a career, by a hobby, even the ministry that we can forget about Jesus Christ. Now, now these things I just mentioned to you are, are good things. Okay, They're good things, but they can become bad things if we take our focus off the main thing. If we take our focus off the right thing, as I've always said, and you've heard me say this many, many times, a good thing can become a bad thing if it keeps you from the right thing. I'm going to say it again, okay? A good thing can become a bad thing if it keeps you from the right thing. Also, let me say this. It's possible to get so fixed, listen now, church, so fixed and so focused on our discouragements, our disappointments, our pains, our struggles, and our hurts that we lose sight of who Jesus is. Now, by inspired imagination, I can almost hear Paul telling Timothy to remember Jesus' life. Jesus' ministry, his commitment, his compassion, his faithfulness, his servanthood, his love, his forgiveness, his grace, his faithfulness, his wisdom, his obedience, his holiness, his truth, his sacrifice, and his death. But here in the text, Paul specifically tells Timothy to remember Jesus' resurrection. Right? And it's very clear from this opening statement that Paul specifically wanted Timothy to never forget, say never forget, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's read the text. Stay with me now. Remember Jesus Christ, he tells Timothy, raised from the dead. Say that, raised from the dead. Now I want to stop there. In other words, Timothy, Paul's saying, Timothy, you need to remember this. Don't forget this. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And though he was crucified, he was raised from the dead, the grave couldn't hold him. Timothy, remember that God raised his son from the dead, and God, by that very same power, get this now, by that very same power, Timothy, will give you supernatural power, strength to serve the Lord. So you guys ready for the lesson? Here it is. Remember Jesus. Say that. Remember Jesus. It is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that Timothy and we as well are able, listen now, are able to overcome emotional, relational, and spiritual discouragement. Yeah? Philippians 3, 10. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I mean, that was Paul's heart. I want to know Christ. Yes. And he says this, to know the power of his resurrection. Then he goes on to say, and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And that's what we need in our lives, right? His resurrection power. We need to experience his resurrection power in our lives, that no matter what difficulties, no matter what circumstances or hardships and trials that you and I are facing in life, we will be strengthened and encouraged as we remember Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. 
resurrection power. So Paul specifically wanted Timothy to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but he adds a second reminder. Let's read on. Descended from David. According to the Davidic covenant, Jesus was a descendant of David. In other words, he was from the lineage of David who would be raised, be raised up, who would be the coming Messiah. Now, Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16 Write that down. I'll read it to you. Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days, and at that time, this is what he says, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. Did you get that? He will do what is just and right in the land. Who's that branch? Jesus Christ. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will, be, will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Also, it's mentioned in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, and 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13. God not only, listen now, God not only promised that a Savior would come, but also proved, proved that a Savior would come. And Paul, follow me now, and Paul reminded Timothy to remember Jesus, to remember and teach the truth about who Jesus is, that Jesus Christ, get this now, raised from the dead speaks of his deity, that Jesus is fully God. And descended from David speaks of his humanity, his earthly lineage, and he is fully man. Got it? Then notice, then notice, But Paul says, I love this, he says, this is my gospel. Say that. Now let me tell you what Paul's not saying here, okay? He's not saying that he invented the gospel. Got it? What he's saying is that the gospel was entrusted to him as the treasure, or we could say the good deposit, which he had to guard and protect and keep. And you see, Paul viewed the gospel as his personal treasure. Say, say personal treasure. In other words, the gospel belonged to him in the sense that he, he preached it, and that he not only preached it, but he also believed it. And not only that he, he believed it, but that it changed his life. Paul had committed and surrendered his life to Jesus Christ, who has been raised from the dead, who changed and who transformed Paul's life. It makes it personal. Say personal. So what Paul is saying, Paul, this is Paul. Paul takes the gospel, he takes ownership of it. Got it? Ownership of the gospel. Now, do you see what Paul's doing here? He's seeking to draw Timothy's attention and every believer's attention to what must be our principal preoccupation, our principal focus, it's to proclaim the gospel and to take ownership of it. Come on, church. Amen? And this is exactly what he wanted Timothy and every single believer to do, to take ownership of it. Listen, friends, if you believe it and it changed your life and transformed your life, amen, then take ownership of it. It's my gospel because it changed my life. So question, what, what does the word gospel mean? We know this, right? It means good, good news. Say good news. 
That being said, for Paul, the best news was not about more money. It, it wasn't about more love or more status or more stuff. The good news was about a real relationship with God through the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross and the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Thank you, brother. Amen. Thank you. You can clap. Amen. And you know what's amazing? Amazing is that Paul had been the chief suppressor of the gospel, but now he's the chief promoter of the gospel. Amen. How amazing is that? Brings it right to point number two, is the power of God's word. Not only the person of Christ, but the power, say power, like you have power, say power of God's word. Look at verse nine with me. Verse nine. For which, well, what does the which refer to? Refers back to my gospel. Got it? For which, Paul's saying, for the gospel, I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Now I want to stop there. Under Nero's persecution, non-Christians viewed Christians as serious criminals. Now I want to say this. What's interesting is that Paul had been the greatest oppressor of Christians, right? Right? And now he was the most greatly oppressed of them all. Now, the reality is we won't have to pay a price and suffer like Paul did. But if we're truly saved, we must be willing. Right? Listen, we must be completely yielded to God that we are willing to pay any price and to face any resistance and to suffer any difficulty for the gospel. And this is what Paul did, and this is something we must be willing to do as well. And Paul is simply reminding Timothy and every single believer, us, of our sacrifice that is demanded, demanded in our service to Jesus and the gospel. Because it's going to cost us something. Right? It's going to cost us something. There is a great price, a great sacrifice factor for everyone who desires to serve and live for the Lord. So that being said, question, what's, what sacrifice, listen Christians, what sacrifice is God asking of you, of you in the service of Christ? Listen, what, what is it that he is asking of you to give up? in order that you might change your schedule to serve him. Huh? It's a whole sermon in itself, right? So think about that. Paul says, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. He says this, love this, but God's word is not chained. Underline that, highlight that, circle that. Now we know that Paul, listen, Paul, was being held chained in a cold, dark, filthy dungeon with a single hole in the ceiling for light and air. It wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. But rather than complain, Paul rejoiced and rejoiced in the fact that no one can imprison the power of God's word. And what Paul is saying, what Paul is saying, he's saying that he's suffering imprisonment, but the word of God is not imprisoned. That the messenger may be chained, but the message is not changed, chained. That the servant of God may be incarcerated, but never the word of God. So you ready for the lesson? 
Here we go. God's word cannot be destroyed. Can't. Can't. The word of God can never be imprisoned. The word of God can never be chained. The word of God can never be stopped. It can never be overthrown. It can never be destroyed. Do I have a witness? His word, say his word, will advance. His word will move forward. His word will triumph. And listen, listen, get this. No enemy, no enemy, no demon or the devil nor the government, no, nothing, no one can thwart the advance of the gospel. No one, nothing can thwart the advance of the word of God. Persecution cannot stop the word of God, nor can it stop the work of God. I love what Martin Luther said. He said in his song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He wrote this, The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Isaiah 48, one of my favorite verses, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but only the word of God will stand, will last forever. And by the way, you don't know this by now, the Bible is the number one best-selling book in human history. So it cannot be chained. It cannot be destroyed. Now I want to say this. Often God puts us, you and I, in difficult situations and difficult circumstances for the very reason that he wants the power of the gospel to shine through us. Now if you grumble and complain, okay, you're missing the opportunity for the power of the gospel to shine through your life. But if through the pain and the tears, the joy of the Lord shines forth, the same powerful gospel that saved you may transform others. So endure hardship. That's just part of the Christian life. Endure it, amen. And remember, as you endure, remember the power of God's word. Verse 10. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of of the elect, the word elect refers to those who were believers or would become believers. So therefore I endure, Paul says, everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I want to, I want to, I want to say this, that, that verb endure, say endure, means Paul patiently remained under the terrible treatment he was under in prison that he stayed the course. Got it? was under in prison, and that he stayed the course when things were difficult. In other words, he didn't bail out. He didn't throw in the towel. He didn't give up. And you see, since God's word cannot be bound, Paul went through and faced these trials with the believers in mind. That's what he's saying. He not only suffered for the sake of Jesus not only suffered for the sake of the gospel, but he also suffered for the sake of the body of Christ, the church, individuals. The bottom line is this. Paul is willing, and I love this. He is willing to endure whatever he has to for the sake of salvation, of saving souls. Amen? And he would suffer in any way necessary for those who would come to faith in Christ. Stay with me now. He is willing to endure the pains of prison for the chance to share the gospel with those who have not yet heard and believed. And he's willing to endure the pains of prison to set an example 
example to those who have already believed that they too will endure and not stop following Christ. You guys got it? That's his point. The person of Christ say that. The person of Christ, the power of God's word say that. And number three is the promise of assurance. Say that, the promise of assurance. Got to love this. Look, look, look at verse 11 with me. Paul, love this. Love this. Paul says, he, he says, here, here is a, a trustworthy, or your Bibles might render as faithful. Here is a trustworthy or a faithful saying. Paul seems to use this phrase as a way of highlighting, say, say highlighting, the things he wants Timothy to pay attention to. Got to get this, Timothy. Everything I've said so far, get this. This is a trustworthy statement, Timothy. It's a trustworthy saying. This is a, a faithful word. And by the way, friends, everything in God's word is trustworthy. Do I have a witness? Now, now stay with me now. This phrase, a trustworthy saying, is only found, only found in Paul's pastoral epistles. It's found, this phrase is found three times in 1 Timothy, one time here in 2 Timothy in the text, and one other time in Titus. Three times 1 Timothy, one time 2 Timothy, and one other time in the book of Titus. Now this saying, got to get this, this saying is possibly an early Christian hymn or a or, or confession of faith or a creed. And this familiar hymn, this confession of faith, or this creed reminds Timothy and reminds us that God's promises are trustworthy. Yeah? So let's, let's read on the text. If we died with him. I want to stop there. Say that. If we died with him. Stop there. Jesus died on the cross. If you believe that, say amen. He died in our place. If you believe that, say amen. He died for our sins. If you believe that, say amen. He died for us. Say amen. And when we got saved, at that very moment of our conversion, we died with him. Galatians 2.20, write that down. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. Died with him. Crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I, Paul says, who lives. But Christ lives in me. If you're saved, say amen. Since we have died with Christ, we have, listen now, since we have died with Christ, we have died to sin. We have died to the old life. We have died to this world, this world system. And when I say the world system, I'm talking about the world, right? The system is anything that's the world that's anti God, anti Christian, anti holiness. We've died to that. So if we died with him, right? Here's the promise. Here's the promise. We will also live with him. You get that? Now, this is in the present tense and also the future tense. Follow me. We live with Christ now in the newness of life, right? He lives in us. We're changed, right? That's the present tense. And we shall also live with him in glory. That's the future tense. So lesson, you ready for the lesson? We will live with Jesus forever. Amen? 
I, I have a, I'm officiating a funeral on the 9th of this month and also on the 23rd. Got a busy month. But the joy of doing those two funerals or, or celebration of life is that these two individuals are with Jesus forever. Amen? We will live with Jesus forever, no matter what happens in this life, friends, Christians. When our life ends here on this earth, we will, no doubt, we will live with Jesus forever. And this is something Paul was very confident about, and we should be as well. Amen? That when you and I pass from this life, we know that we will live with Jesus forever. You see, Paul was a martyr, right? His head was severed, but Paul understood something. They could cut his head off, but they could not head him off because he was headed for glory to live with Jesus forever. Amen? Verse 12, if we endure, or your Bibles might render as persevere. If we endure, persevere. I want to stop there. Real Genuine, say real, say genuine Christians bear up against sufferings for the sake of Christ. Did you get that? They endure. Real, genuine, authentic Christians endure and persevere in following Christ. If you're saved, say amen. Now, now we endure and we persevere not to be saved. Rather, we endure and persevere because we are saved. If he got it, so he got it. And you see, enduring hostility and persecution, following Jesus and not giving up, evidences true salvation. And Paul knew what it was like to endure. He knew what it was like to persevere in his ministry and in his life for the sake of Christ. So if we endure, if we persevere, here's the promise, we will also reign with him. We will one day, we will one day reign, get this, and rule with Jesus. Mind blown, huh? Enduring and persevering results in sharing in His glory, and not just sharing in His glory, but reigning with Him. Reigning with Him in the millennial kingdom. Revelation chapter 20 Verse 6. Go home and read that. So are you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Why do you, Paul always says press on? Keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Hey, life, life is not easy. Life is tough. Hey, the Christian life is not easy. Right, Christians? It's not easy. The Christian life is what? It's tough. But don't give up. Stay the course. They stay the course. Keep your eyes on, on Jesus, okay? Not on yourself, not on your circumstances, not on your hardships. Keep your eyes on Jesus and look forward to living with him and reigning with him forever. So listen, friends, when your circumstances seem to overwhelm you and your pains and hardships seem to overwhelm you, Remember, okay, it's going to be a lot better in glory with him. The things you're facing right now are small potatoes compared to being with him 
in glory and reigning with him forever. Let's read on. If we disown, your Bibles might say deny him. I want to stop there because I want you to understand the word deny or disown there. In the Greek, it's our neomai. Say our neomai. In the Greek, it's our neomai. It means not to accept. It means to reject. It means to disown. It means to refuse to affirm or refuse to confess. And the idea there of that word deny or disown in the text, our neomai, is the idea of denouncing and rejecting. Here in the text, here in the text, the word disown, deny, is a present tense. Got to get this. Meaning continuous action. It's not a one-time denial, okay, or a three-time like Peter. You guys with me? But a life of continually denying and rejecting and denouncing the Lord. You guys with me? It refers to ultimate denial, as we see with unbelievers, right? We know people, I don't want him. I don't care. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. It's an ultimate denial and rejection, as seen with unbelievers or apostates, who claim to know God, but they don't. This is exactly what he's pointing out at here. So if we disown, reject, ultimately reject him and deny him, here's the promise, and it's not a good promise. He will also disown or deny us. This is totally consistent with what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Where Jesus said, Therefore, whoever confesses me before man on earth, I will also confess him before my Father in heaven. Whoever denies me before man on earth, I will also deny him before my Father which is in heaven. Did you get that? So, those who ultimately deny him, Christ will say, I never knew you. Amen? So if you're saved, you better say amen. Verse 13. Love this. If we are faithless, I'm going to stop there. Have you ever done things where um, you were not faithful to God? I have. Plenty of times. We, we all have. Amen? And if we're honest, because we're in church, right? If we're honest, at times we have been faithless in serving Jesus. We have been faithless in our Christian testimony. We have been faithless in prayer and reading of God's Word. We have been faithless in our commitments to Him, right? If we're honest. And I have fallen short many times and still do. So if we are faithless, here's the promise. He will remain faithful. Not might. Will remain faithful. Even when we at times struggle with being faithful to God, He remains faithful to us. He is faithful regardless of our faithlessness. And even in our hours of disappointment to Him, He will never fail us. He will never disappoint us, never be faithless to us. And how do we know? How do we know this? Well, let's read on. For He cannot disown or deny Himself. 
He, God, remains faithful to his word. He remains faithful to his promises, faithful to his blessings, faithful to his warnings, faithful to his judgments, faithful to his children, and faithful to his character. Because he cannot disown or deny himself. So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. God is always himself. <laughs> right? God is always himself. Listen, no, no man, no man, say no man, is always himself. No woman is always herself. But God is always himself. All right? Always himself. He is unwavering. He is immutable, which is a word for unchanging, in his faithfulness. Listen, he cannot be any more faithful, and he will never be any less faithful. For he is always perfectly, consistently, infinitely, absolutely faithful to us. Now, now with great enthusiasm and energy, say, he is faithful. One more time, say, he is faithful. I thank God, I don't know about you, but I thank God that he cannot be faithless. I thank him that he cannot disown and that he cannot deny himself. Because this tells us that he has to be faithful. He has to because it is part of his essential nature. It's part of his essential character to not be faithful. Listen now, to not be faithful is to act outside or to go against his essential nature and his essential character. He cannot deny. He cannot disown himself. He cannot go against his own nature or his own character. He is faithful. And he's the only one, say he's the only one, that we know who is perfectly faithful. We can take that to the bank. Let's all stand.